checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I am very excited to be here today. And as Abigail was saying, um, the Dream Team has done just an amazing job. Some of them got up at 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning to get here early and set everything up. And we're just so thankful for them. They've done an incredible job. And it's just true. Teamwork makes the dream work. Um, And as it's grand opening, I'm going to spend a little bit of time sharing how we got here. Um, If you want to hear the full story, if you want to hear more of the details, how did this church start, what do we believe, where do we see the church going, that sort of thing, we encourage you to come to Growth Track. That's going to be in a few weeks, right after service in in one of these rooms here. Um, So hang around for that. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story today since it's all of our first time. So Abigail and I, um, about eight years ago, were engaged. We were in Bible college finishing up. It was my last year. She had one more year after that. We were at Moody Bible Institute, and we went to the campus coffee shop. It was called Joe's. Um, We got one of our favorite drinks, and we sat down. We were actually just talking about it this week. We remember exactly where we were sitting in this moment, because it's such a moment that is... um, marked in our memory. And so we were sitting there and we were just dreaming about the future. You know, what does is, what is God have for us? What are we going to do with our life? Um, we know we're called to ministry, but what is that going to look like? And we were just praying and we just got this sense, this feeling in our spirit that church planting was part of our future. And we just, we just had that feeling. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Some of you, I know you, you're not even sure if you believe in God yet, but some of us have been following God for a long time. And maybe you've had that where in your spirit, you just get a sense Maybe that still small voice, you just get something that's like, I don't think that was from me. I think that was from God. And we got that about church planning. And we knew it wasn't for then. We knew it was something for the future. Um, but we just tucked it away. And right then in that moment, though, we, we said to each other, we think this is from God. God, we're going to say yes to whatever it looks like, whenever it looks like, wherever you want us. And we, we told God yes in that moment, even though we didn't have the details. And I wonder what does God have for you that he wants you to say yes to before you even have the details? Because whether or not you even believe in God yet, I believe that every single person is created on purpose, that there's no one here on accident. They're all, we're all created for, for a purpose as well, that God is something he wants you to do. So I wonder what is it that God is asking you to do that he wants you to say yes to before you even know all the details? I wonder what would happen if we were all willing to do that. But anyways, that's where we were. We were at that place where we were ready to say yes to Jesus no matter what it looked like. And we ended up graduating, getting married, um, and we ended up jumping into church planting ministry right away. We didn't expect that that would happen, but God opened the door for us to join a church plant um, just south of us in Batavia. And so we, we plugged in there and we served there faithfully. And then around 2018, the beginning of last year, we got that same thing. We felt like God was speaking to us, that now was the time. So we're like, God, whatever you want. We already told you yes. Just tell us where and when, and we'll do it. And we just really got the sense for Elgin. We just knew we needed to be here. So we just started pursuing whatever that looked like. And we were just like, all right, we're all in. And we would pray, and we were, we were building team members and, and talking to leaders and getting confirmation from other pastors that, yes, this is what God is calling us to do. And during that process, the word hope just kept coming up. It just kept coming up over and over and over. Hope, hope, hope. And so we're like, what are we going to do? We, like, this word hope is clearly important 
to what we're doing. You know, lots of things. We're like, we want to be a church that's loving. We want to be a church that's kind, welcoming. We want to have a great kids ministry, a great youth ministry, all these different things. But we really felt like all of that was going to be through the filter of hope. And so eventually that led to the name Hope Culture Church because we want to create a culture of hope. We want, maybe you even experienced it this morning, but we want to be a place where you walk in and you tangibly feel hope that you know that there's people around you here that believe in you and what God has for you, that we as a community believe the best is yet to come, that God's not done with our story yet. And so that's how we arrive. But we don't want it just to stay here. We don't just want a culture of hope here. We want to bring hope to our culture because it's not hard to realize that we need hope, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. There's brokenness everywhere. We turn on the news It's not hard to see that our world is not working the way it should. We need hope. And the reality is, is hope is supposed to abound in our life as a believer. This is in Romans 15. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want that. I want that prayer. I want that in my life. I want to be filled with joy and peace, overflowing with hope. But the reality is, is so often, that's not the case. I don't think that happens right away. I think it happens at some point in our life. Because as I've been watching my kids, we have three little kids. We have Judah. He's six years old. If you see him running around afterwards, he's the one who's going to be really, really excited. He's super extroverted. He's probably going to eat too many donuts and say hi to all of you. But he's, he's like see-through blonde and... Um, just full of energy. And then we have Matthias. He's three. He's awesome. He's just, he, what he sets his mind to, he's going to do. And then we have Poema, and Poema is just full of joy. She's just this, our little baby girl. Um, and all three of them, though, are so filled with hope, especially the oldest two, the boys. They wake up every morning, and they're like, what are we doing today? Today's going to be so good. Who are we going to see? What are we going to do? They're just like, they have an expectation that whatever day it is, this is going to be the best day. You know, they're filled with hope. And I think a lot of us are naturally like that, but at some point that changes. Because I don't know if we all woke up like that this morning, or maybe yesterday. Because at some point, hope starts to leak out of our life. And I was wondering why that happens. And I, as I was thinking about it, I think it's the, as soon as we experience pain or disappointment or something didn't go as we expected it to, when we realize that not everything goes as planned, we begin to become a little more skeptical that we're not sure, you know, if hope is really worth it or if things really do work out or, or what that looks like, we kind of start to lose hope. And instead of seeing hope overflowing, we see hopelessness overflowing. I don't know if it's an area of our life. I think a lot of us, it's, it's an, ex, an area that we've experienced pain, that we shut off hope in that area. It's not like we're hopeless in our entire life. It's just an area of our life that we've kind of become hopeless in. Or maybe for you, it is your entire life. Maybe, maybe you came today because you got something in the mail and you're like, I don't know, my life's just not going the way I want it to. I'm desperate for something to change. I'm just going to give God a chance. I'm going to see what happens. I feel hopeless. So no matter the extent of our hopelessness, I think all of us experience it a little bit in some area of our life. But what does the Bible have to say about hopelessness? What, what does Jesus do in hopeless situations? What is, 
is, is that just the way it is? Is that just reality? Is that just what we have to get used to? Or is there something different? Can there be hope in hopeless situations? Not just hard times, but things that truly seem hopeless. And to answer that question, we're going to look at a story that maybe you're familiar with. Maybe it's brand new to you if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible. It's in John chapter 11. You can flip there if you have a Bible. If you have your phone, you can pull it out and scroll there. If you want to look at the screen, we have it up here. But we're going to look at a story of Jesus showing up in a hopeless situation and see if there's anything we can learn from that in our own hopeless situation. So a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling them, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And that's a logical next step, you know, because they know Jesus, they're friends with Jesus, they've seen what he's been doing, he's been doing miracles, he's been doing amazing things, and when you're in trouble, you call an expert. You know, earlier this month, we had car problems, um, our water pump went out, and the belt was messed up, and all this stuff, so what did I do? I called a mechanic and brought my car in, right? Because you call an expert in that area. If you have plumbing issues, you call a plumber. We got bulldog plumbing here today. Um, when, you, when, when you have legal issues, you call a lawyer. I don't know if we have any lawyers here today, but if, if we do, meet them after service. Get their number. But we call whoever is an expert in that area. And so for them, they're reaching out to Jesus. Jesus, you're the one who can do something about this situation. We're going to reach out to you. So they send a messenger to Jesus. Lord, your dear friend is sick. Another translation says, the one you love is sick. And I love that because they didn't say, the one who loves you. They said, the one you love. And I think sometimes we approach God when we have something we need of listing like why he should help us. I don't know about you, but I've done this before. I'm like, but God, look at, look at what we're doing or, or this. Like, I've done this. Can't you help me out? Or when we're praying for somebody else, that person, she is such a, a woman of God or that guy's such a man of God or God, they're trying their best. We list their criteria, but they come and say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. What if we approach prayer that way? knowing that God loves us and not coming on our own merit, but on, on the merit of he's for us. God, the one you love is sick. And so, you know, Jesus gets this, and some of us have gotten a call like this before, or a message, you know, you can tell by their tone it's not good news. You've gotten a call from somebody, maybe it was the school and, and your kids are sick, or maybe it's a, it's a relative who, who has bad medical news. Something's happened, you've gotten that call, and your heart just sinks. You know, you can tell by the tone of their voice, this isn't going well. But then, what do you do? You hang up, you get a plan together, and you go be with that person, right? That's like the logical next step. Most of the time, maybe we head straight there. Maybe we make plans that weekend to go see them. We try to go be with them when they need us in their time of crisis. But that's actually not what Jesus does. In verse 5, it says, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I love verse 5. I think we skip over that one a lot because it's, it's like John, the writer of, the, of this passage, is like, I need to remind you guys that, you know, Jesus does love them. I know you might not think, based on what he's doing right now, he loves them, but he does. He's, he's excited and cares about their life and loves them deeply, even though he's going to stick around for a, f- a few days. And I don't know about you, but that's true in my life. When Jesus doesn't show up, when I called for him, I'm like, you still love me, right? <laughs> Did I mess this up? 
Did I do something wrong? You still love me, right? I don't know. Have you ever questioned if God loves you because he's not showing up the way you expected him to? I think that's a very, a very common thing we struggle with, but the reality is we don't have to question that because he's made his love abundantly clear in Jesus. You know, that was settled once and for all at the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die but have eternal life. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die a brutal death. He didn't have to. God put on flesh, became God with us, Emmanuel, to show us his love. So when things aren't going as we expect, we don't have to question whether or not God loves us. He still loves us. But verse 7, we see he finally does go. Finally, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are we going there again? Like, not to, not to second guess you, Jesus, but is this really a good idea? Because a minute ago, you said everything was going to work out. This wasn't going to end in death, um, but it might end in death if, if we go because they're trying to kill us. So are you sure this is a good idea? And I love the disciples because they're always trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about and what he's doing. They're always like one or two steps behind. They're like, are you sure? Because I thought you said we were staying. If we were going to go, we probably should have gone right away. But all right, I guess. Are you, are you sure? And, and Jesus is like, yeah, Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now we'll go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. Like, like once again, they're just a little bit behind him because they're like, I don't, I don't get it, Jesus. Like, they called for us. We didn't go. And, and now we're going to go, even though he said he's going to get better and he's sleeping. Sleep is good. No one wants to be woken up from sleep, especially when they're sick. I mean, I don't like being woken up even when I'm not sick. I just, I like, I like sleep, you know? I think a lot of you like sleep. Some of you are like, this is week one. Can we already go to two services? You know, like 10 o'clock's fine, but I would sleep in a little bit more if we could do like a 9 a.m. and maybe a 9 p.m. That'd be, it'd be a little bit more, be a little bit more my thing, you know? I, I like my sleep. Don't wake me up. I know we have some morning people in here. Awesome. Some of you are on the dream team, um, and that's amazing. Some of you are on the dream team even though you're not a morning person. Extra kudos to you. But... A lot of us are not morning people. You know, some of you are actually two alarm people. Anybody, anybody two alarm people in here? I even saw a couple hands go up. That's awesome. Some of you are like, actually, I'm a four alarm person. <laughs> I've labeled them all. The they're on my phone. The first one goes off. It's like, get up. The second one's like, no, for real, get up. The third one's like, you're going to be late. And the fourth one just says, seriously. <laughs> you know, like, none of us like to wake up. And they're like, Jesus, why are you going to wake him up? You know, I used to be a morning person. Like, Back in college, I actually worked at the gym. Um, I, was, I was the opener. I would, I would get there first thing in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. We'd unlock all the doors, get everything ready for the, like, three college students who show up at 5 in the morning. And, um, you know, I loved it. And Abigail was a night owl. She, she was the opposite. So we just hung out in the middle of the day. I would go to work. We'd bo both go to classes. We'd hang out. I'd go to sleep, and then she'd, she'd be awake. And I don't even know what she did. But she... <laughs> That was, that was just what worked for us. But now we've kind of met in the middle. We have little kids. And how many of you know when, when you have little kids, you kind of become just a middle-of-the-day person? You're just always tired. You're not a morning person. You're not a night person. You're just, like, constantly tired. So that's the stage of life we're in. But the disciples are like, why are we going to wake him up? And Jesus is like, no, you missed it. So he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You know, Lazarus is dead. And if I was the disciples, I would be even more confused now. Because I'd be like, we didn't go. You said he was sleeping. You meant he was dead. 
So they're trying to figure it out. And I love it because Thomas, Thomas usually gets a bad rap. We think he's the guy who just doubts everything. Um, he's like, well, then let's all go and die. And I, I'm just like, what? He's like, let's, let's all go and die. But he's doing his best. He's like, if Jesus is saying this is good, I think this is what we're supposed to go do now. But, you know, they're just trying their best. And I love that John gives no explanation of what happens next. You know, he's not like Jesus corrects him or the disciples are like, no, they're all just like, I don't know, maybe we are going to go die. Who knows what's about to happen? Let's just go. So they travel back to Judea. And when they get there, they find out that Lazarus is already dead. It's, it's already too late. They've already missed it. And I've felt this. I don't know if you've felt this. Maybe you've been following Jesus. Maybe not. Maybe you just cried out to God in general because you're like, I need something, God. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are walking away from you. Job stuff is not going well. Finances are a mess. Whatever the situation, we've been trying to have kids for so long. God, this cancer's back. Where are you? It seems like you're too late. I don't know if you've ever had a situation in your life where it seems like Jesus was tardy, where he just got there too late. That's how Martha felt. It says that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love that faith, but also the rawness of it. Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have done something. She actually goes out when she sees him because my guess is they sent the messenger, the messenger goes back. They don't know if or when Jesus is coming. You know, four days has passed at this point and she's probably waiting and watching. Is he coming? And finally he's coming and she's like, you're too late now. If you would have been here, you could have done something. And Jesus has this amazing conversation with her where we see she still does have faith, but she doesn't know exactly what it will look like. And even though she's disappointed, she still knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And so she goes back and gets her sister, Mary. And Mary leaves the house quickly. And at this point, a bunch of people had come to mourn with them, you know, to be there for them, to support them in this time. So the whole crowd comes out and meets Jesus. And Mary has the exact same conversation. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You're just a little too late. I needed you. Where were you? Where were you when we lost our house? Where were you when the cancer came back? Where were you when I lost my job? Where were you in that relationship? You're just a little too late. You could have done something. But Jesus, he tells them, where is he? He says, let's go and see him. He calls them to go over there. And when they get there, I love this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He knows the end of the story. He knows what's about to happen. And yet he weeps because we don't serve a God who is just sympathetic, but who's also empathetic. He empathizes with us. He feels for us. The psalm says he keeps all of our tears in a bottle. We serve a God who knows our pain and is with us in it. And that's comforting to me, to know that, that he cares about us in that way. 
Because when we realize that we can walk through hopeless situations and, and still have Jesus with us, there's still hope in that. Because hope isn't found in just what we're traveling through, but who we're traveling with. Hope is found in what Jesus can do for us. Not just in what Jesus can do for us, but in who Jesus is to us. Jesus is the hope of the world. And so we can always have hope, even when it seems too late. Because there's our, there are situations in our life that seem like too late. If you would have been there, it would have been okay, but now you're just too late. But when we choose to not lose hope in that moment, something powerful happens. Because as Christians, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we can believe this. If it's not good, it's not done. If it's not good, it's not over. It might seem done. It might seem too late. But it is not over until it's good. Any area of our life that's without hope is under the influence of a lie. God's desire, as we read in the beginning, is that we'd be overflowing with hope. I can't imagine walking through hard times without hope. It'd be unbearable. But now we get to my favorite part of the story. Verse 39, Jesus says, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Once again, I love how practical this is. Like four days is a long time. Four days, he's starting to decay. It smells at this point. She's like, Jesus, we don't want to do this. And I, it's also significant that it's four days because in Jewish tradition during this time, um, it was believed that the spirit of a person would remain near the body for three days. So she's like, even if I wanted to hold on to hope after he was dead that you were going to do something, it's like for real too late now, Jesus. It's been four days. And that's not a biblical principle. That's just something they believed during that time. And I think it's significant. But I love that she just says it will smell really bad. The King James, maybe, maybe you're a fan of the King James Bible, it actually says, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. It's been four days, Jesus. You're too late. This, this is very smelly. And let's just leave that closed. And I was thinking about this, and, you know, we hosted a lot over the summer. We had a lot of people over to our house, and sometimes they, were, they would text us, hey, we're on our way. We'll be there in 10 minutes, and we weren't ready yet. So, you know, you, you do what we did, what all you do. You run around, you close all the doors and hide everything, right? Have you ever had somebody show up unexpected, and you're like, you go to the door. I'll, I'll get all the other doors. Let's divide and conquer. So one of you's like, hey, nice to meet you. You're like opening the door slowly. The other one's like shoving stuff behind the door. Because we like to hide our mess. We like to hide the stinky situations in our life. And, and they're like, Jesus, I don't know if you want to roll this stone back. This is stinky at this point. This is a messy situation. This is a hopeless situation. Let's just leave it alone. And Jesus said, but didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you just believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And then a dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Can you imagine being there? 
Just put yourself in that story for a minute. There's, there's people there who were mourning with Mary and Martha, and they, they're experiencing this. And I was just like, what would it be like to be there when they roll that back, and everybody's got all this emotion already. You know, they're sad. They're grieving. They're like, what's happening? This is awkward. I don't know. And then the same voice that spoke the universe into existence yells, Lazarus, come out. I don't think they would just hear it. I think they would feel it. I think there would be power in that. And I think they would be amazed and terrified. I get, I would be scared. I know you're like surprised. You're like, you look really tough. I'm not really tough. And you're actually like, no, I wasn't thinking that. Well, whatever. That's just mean. But no, I would have been scared. That would be terrifying. Jesus just yelled and a dead man walked out. He's been dead for four days. I'm pretty sure they were all just standing there like this. Did you see that? And I think that's why Jesus had to say, unwrap him and let him go. Because they're all just like, did that really just happen? Did that actually just happen right now? And Jesus is like, unwrap him and let him go. And as I was studying this passage, I saw that that Jesus' miracle is broken into three separate commands. And I want to just look at those for just a minute. The first command is he says, roll the stone away. And this is the miracle invitation because God doesn't force himself into our lives. He doesn't force himself into our lives. He asks, do you want this? Do you want to be a part of this? Are you willing to roll the stone away? Because there are areas of our life that we've experienced pain and shame and hurt and discouragement and loss that we would rather leave covered at this point. The messy areas of our life. The stinky areas of our life. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to roll the stone away? Will you let me in to that area of your life? That's the miracle invitation. And the second command, he says, Lazarus, come out. And this is the miracle in motion. This is when it actually happens. This is when Lazarus comes to life. And there becomes a point where God asks you to participate in the miracle, but then there's a point where you're no longer a part of it anymore. It's all in God's hands at this point. And he does what only he can do in that situation, in that dead situation of our life, in that hopeless area of our life, he can bring it back to life. He can redeem it. If it's not good, it's not done. It might not look like you expect it to. It might not have turned out the way you were praying it would. But if it's not good, it's not done. God's not done with it yet. And if we roll back the stone and invite him in, he will do something in his timing. The last part is he says, unwrap him and let him go. And this is the response to the miracle. Once again, we're invited back in to being a part of what God's doing. He does what he can do, and then he says, okay, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with how I just showed up in your life? What is your response? And so I was wondering what, because typically the area that we've experienced the most pain is the area that we're the most hopeless and that we need hope. And I was wondering, what would it look like to roll back the stone in our life and and leave that open for God to do what he wants to do in his timing? And so we we have these cards in your seats. um, And if you want to grab it, you can fill it out now or you can take it home with you, whatever you feel comfortable with. 
But I would love to encourage you, just as an act of faith, take this and write down one, three, however many you want, areas of your life where you want to experience hope. Symbolically just rolling back the stone and inviting God in. Maybe you even want to get prayer for this in a little bit. We're going to have a prayer team available who would love to just pray with you for this area of your life where you've experienced loss and hopelessness. They're going to believe for God to do amazing, amazing things. But what would actually happen? I was, I was dreaming, what, what would happen if we all did this? What if God showed up in all of our lives? What if we all truly held on to hope as a group, as a community, and God began to do amazing things? Well, what happens next in the story is this. In verse 45, it says, Many people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. And I want to encourage you that the miracle isn't just for you. The miracle isn't just for you. That God has something big in store for us. I believe it. I believe he's doing something unique and special in this place, in our community. I think that as we hold on to hope, God will start moving and it will cause people on the outside looking in to make a decision. I see what's happening. I saw that person and then I saw what happened afterwards. That area of their life is different because of Jesus. And I believe that many will come to know him because of that. We're praying that this church wouldn't just be a church full of Christians who are excited to hang out on Sunday mornings, but that it'd be a church full of people who care about the community around us, that we want to see other people experience what we're experiencing, God moving in power and in might in our lives. So let's invite him in because our greatest area of pain can become our greatest place of testimony. The best stories of what God has done are the most encouraging things of what we believe he can do again. Our greatest pain can become our greatest testimony. So I want to invite you to roll back the stone in your life and let him do what only he can do. But as we read in the beginning, God is the source of our hope. He's the source. It's only found in Jesus. So maybe, maybe it's not just an area. Maybe you've never experienced this kind of hope. Because this kind of hope, biblical hope, isn't wishful thinking. It's not, I hope for this. It's a confident expectation based on who God is not just what he does. And if you've never experienced that, I want to invite you to experience that for the first time today. It's an open invitation. If you want that, you need God in your life because you can't experience true hope apart from the source of true hope, Jesus. And so spiritually speaking, we're all more like Lazarus. We're, we're dead. And it's because the perfection, the bar that, that God sets is perfection. He's holy. He's perfect. There's no one like him. Everybody's made mistakes. That's not news to you. We've all made mistakes. Some of us made mistakes on the way here this morning. And so no amount of good things fixes that. Some of you are great people, but the bar is perfection. But the good news is God loves us so much that he wants relationship with us. So he sent Jesus to live the life we couldn't so that we could have life with him forever, that we could experience hope overflowing, joy and peace completely. 
eternal life with him. If you want that today, it's as simple as ABC. We just need to admit that we've messed up. God, I, I, haven't, I haven't lived up to your standard. Will you forgive me? B is believe. I believe that Jesus paid the price for that. He took the punishment for my sin, and I want to make that exchange. His perfect life for my mistakes, and I'm going to live for you now. And that's C, choosing to live for Jesus. I believe there's people in here who want that today. You've never experienced this hope before. Now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand when I count to three. We're not going to make you come forward or anything like that. We just want to, we just want to celebrate with you and follow up with you and, and help you as you, you start this journey of following Jesus. So if that's you today, if you're ready to just say, God, I need you in my life. I'm tired of doing things my way. I want to do them your way now. I believe that you want new life for me. Would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. All right, you can put your hands down. We're going to all pray together. We're just gonna have, I'm just going to have you repeat after me, all, all of us in this as one. Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. God, I admit I haven't been perfect. Thank you that you forgive me. I believe in you. I choose to follow you from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with joy and hope and peace. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.